Welcome to the Money Mentors Podcast. Today we are brought to you by Hewison Private Wealth. Hewison Private Wealth is one of Australia's leading independent financial planning and wealth management firms. My name is Nathan Lear and I'm with my co-host Glenn Fairburn. Both Glenn and I are certified financial planners with a combined 25 years of experience in the industry. Our mission is to improve financial literacy and financial awareness for our listeners. Today is our first podcast where we'll have a discussion around is there any point in making financial and market predictions and how we see things and have discussions. We hope you enjoy today's Money Mentors podcast. Enjoy. Today, Glenn and I are going to have a bit of a chat about is there any point in making investment predictions? Uh, now, this, this is mainly on the back of in early September, there was a, a well-known uh, economist and central banker by the name of William White. Um, he's famously known for, for being one of the few people to predict the, the GFC, and he's basically made a, a call that markets look similar to they did in 2008 around the start of the GFC. So this, this uh, triggered quite a bit of um, publicity in the financial press. Um, so this got, got us thinking in terms of uh, are markets expensive and, and also other markets, there's a lot of commentary around other markets. Um, so I'll throw to Glenn just to, um, you know, your comments and, and what you've been hearing from, from people out there. I think also, Nathan, aside from this particular article, uh, in, in today's day and age with, you know, massive flows of information, whether it be online or mobile or radio, podcast, whatever it may be, I think there's just so much information now that people tend to overreact with any information that they get. Um, and if we look back, even after the GFC, where we've had so many different sort of doomsday predictions, whether, you know, some years back where we had, there was concern that the US was going to default on their debt. We had um, China's economy um, having a hard landing. We had, you know, Greece exiting the EU and the EU collapsing. There's just been so many different scenarios um, that have predicted a doomsday scenario, which actually hasn't happened. Like, I think the fallout is that to date... Um, leading from the GFC, we just haven't had that doomsday situation that's prolonged. I mean, obviously, last year we had two events being Brexit and also the US election where, you know, the short-term predictions were wrong. I mean, everyone thought that the UK was going to stay in the EU. Everyone thought that um, Hillary would win the US election. Both of those things didn't happen. Um, and leading into it, I, I think in particular with the US election, I mean, we were sort of listening to a lot of so-called um, experts on the economic side of things where they were saying, oh, look, if Trump um, is successful in the election, that markets are going to fall 20%. And he was successful. And our market, we, we'd probably remember um, back in November last year where our market was open as the US election results were coming through. Um, and, and we'd fall, was it 6 or 7% in, in the day, something along those lines. And the US market was obviously um, closed at that particular time. And then overnight Trump has this sort of post-election speech where he, where he sort of says a few different things and he, people don't think he's as crazy as what I think he, 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 he was sort of led to be leading up to the, to the election and the market recovers. So I think, you know, as I was saying, there's just so much information and people don't know how to absorb it. And, but I think more often than not, people are getting those short-term predictions wrong. So as you said, what's the point? Mm. 
That's right. There's always there's always seems to be something. Um, I mean, in our experience, we've both been around for you know over a decade at least, and there's always something that people are worried about. Um, and and more times than not, it doesn't it doesn't turn out to to come to effect. So so one thing I wanted to have a quick chat about that that everybody seems to be speaking about at the moment in Australia, and uh, obviously from, we're in Melbourne, so Melbourne and Sydney in particular gains a lot of press um, is, is property prices in Australia. Now that's, you know, we both have clients and, and our clients often ask us for our opinions on, on property. What do we think it's gonna do? Um, apartment prices, that, that's probably getting a lot of press. There's a uh, yeah, potential oversupply of, of apartments in, in, in some parts of, of Melbourne and Sydney. Um, so before I ask you, Glenn, for your, your thoughts on that, there was a, I don't, don't know if you've seen the, the Four Corners report that was uh, aired around a month ago. Yeah, um, it was pretty well reported, that particular um, story. G- gained a lot of press and, and I think it did paint quite a, a negative picture. It was a, I'm not going to say it was fear-mongering necessarily, but it was quite, it was quite bearish and they, you know, they get their expert from, from the US in and you know, telling us what happened in the US and it's going to happen here. So um, yeah, maybe we'll have a bit of a chat about you know, how, we, how we deal with um, property prices and when clients ask us what, ask us what we think it's going to do. Um, yeah, I think the key thing to consider when, when you're looking at trying to make a prediction, I think it's also looking at, if, if we're looking at our property market, what were the drivers of that, you know, so-called property boom that's just continued to roll on? I mean, we are probably having chats a number of years ago about it and saying, oh, you know, eventually it's going to come to an end, but it hasn't at this stage. Um, so I think it's, if we look at what the key drivers are, I mean, like any you know asset, quite often the prices are driven by demand and supply. But I think the key driver of property prices generally are interest rates. So if you look at that sort of environment um, in the last ten years, interest rates have just continued to fall. So it does make it a lot more affordable for new entrants into the market. So I think that's probably one of the key drivers. Um, so also, so yeah. with with interest rates that are at record low rates in Australia, and everyone knows you know you can get a you can get a home loan for maybe not much over 4%, 4.5%, yeah. which is quite cheap. Um, th- there's only one way up from here. You, you would think so. I mean, we're already seeing that in the US. Europe's looking at unwinding there, sort of quantitative easing. So rates are only going up. And I think we're already seeing that, um, in particular on the investment side of things. A lot of people that we speak to on, on the loaning um, side of the market are saying that banks just aren't looking at a lot of development type loans, interest-free loans. We've, we've seen that in the press. Um, so look, it seems as though you know the affordability of housing, if we're looking at it purely from interest rates, is changing. I think that whole dynamic's changing. It's happening in the US already. So whether that impact impacts our market um, significantly, only time will tell. I think the other drivers, of course, you know, going a few years further back, obviously we went through the the mining boom. Um, China's had this phenomenal growth and we're just fortunate that we're in the right part of the world that we, we can sort of benefit from that. So there's been a lot of these key drivers that have driven up property prices. It's just a matter of whether that can continue. And as you were saying, I mean, if rates do start to rise, um, surely that has an impact on property prices. Yeah, you'd think so. I mean, it, it can't, rates can't stay at these levels forever. I no. mean, longer for lower, we keep hearing that and, um, and they've, especially in the US, they haven't gone up nowhere near as quick, quickly as we thought. In Australia, they've stayed low and there's very, actually, they're very mixed mixed views on rates. I don't know. So this week we had the, the RBA um, basically come out and, and leave rates flat and, and there was 
I saw quite a few articles where there was mixed views on the next move, um, whether rates will go up or down. So some experts don't know or can't agree. Yeah. So it's uh, interesting to see how that'll play out over the next uh, next two years. I know I heard one report where um, I, I can't remember the, the name of the gentleman, but he thought rates could go up eight times um, in, in the next two years. So that's 2%. I mean, that's a that's an out there comment. Um, yeah. I'd be... Personally, I'd be surprised if that happened. But I think you're always going to get that, aren't you? I mean, there's going to be, I think, one key message within any investment commentary or economic commentary is you're always going to have views on two extremes. And if we're looking at rise, raising interest rates eight times, that's what's going to get coverage, isn't it? Like if we're, it's the same with this particular article that you were quoting earlier. I mean, it, it's the outlandish stuff that unfortunately is what gets airtime, isn't it? And that may not be the sort of common view. Um, but I, I think also with, with property as to what's been driving the prices, that there's been a lot of discussion recently. You know, it was probably a, a pretty hot election topic was in relation to capital gains tax and, and the use of um, um, negative gearing and so forth. I mean, what, what do you think the impact on that is on property prices? Yeah, that, that one gained a lot, of, a lot of press. And I know all the, the economists come out with their, their statistics and you know, mainly people on low income, low income, um, negatively gear. So if you get rid of it, it's not really going to affect prices much. But I mean, then you get the whole political side of it and it turns into a bit of a farce. But um, I, I think, you know, what, when, I'm, when I'm having a chat with clients around property, it's, it's probably more about having a look at their exposure to property. And, you know, as we've been saying, it's, it's very difficult to know what's going to happen to the property market. Is there going to be a catalyst? Um, People have been saying it for the last five, 10 years that it's overvalued and, you know, all the reports that come out that say Australia is up there as the most prop, uh, Melbourne and Sydney are up there with the most expensive property markets in the world alongside Canada and other countries like that. So I think the thing that, that I'd like to take out of that is, or, or to summarise kind of the property discussion is we, we don't quite know where it's going to go or if there's going to be a catalyst. Yes, it might be expensive, um, but it could keep getting more, more expensive if, you know, immigration comes in. I, I don't know the answer to that, but... I suppose if you're overweight property, um, you have a lot of rental property, uh, investment properties or whatnot, maybe you'd revisit your portfolio, take some profit perhaps, I don't know, sell one or two. But and if you don't have property exposure, maybe maybe it's still appropriate. That's probably how I'd look at it, just to look at your overall exposure to that, to that, that market. Yeah, and I think it's also important to bear in mind that property, although it's one asset class, you, you can break it down into multiple segments, can't you? I mean, you've got obviously residential, which is what we've been talking about, but you've got office property, um, other types of commercial like industrial, whether it's hotels, whatever it may be. Property is so broad and we tend to focus pretty heavily on residential, but That's right, there's yeah. been a lot of commentary about, um, I mean, e- even where we are in Melbourne on St Kilda Road, a lot of the you know, previous office buildings are being converted to residential. So in some ways, there's a shortage of office. So I think when you're looking at constructing a portfolio and in particular your property allocation, I think a key thing to bear in mind to, to try and mitigate the risks of perhaps a downturn in the residential market is to really look at trying to diversify not not only your portfolio into different asset classes but really looking at property as an asset class and saying okay how am i um, minimizing my risk to any one segment of the market that that's 100 percent, and and you know a, a well a well-rounded diversified portfolio should have diversification not across the sectors but within the sectors so 100 percent, you know you'd want to different parts of the property market exposure um, and you know we all know commercial property is, is completely different nature to residential property and you know we, we've seen clients going to 
commercial property that we've recommended that that might be on a, a yield of seven and a half percent. So I mean that doesn't necessarily point towards the property being expensive because you know we know that there's that that relationship between between price and yield. So if we're still getting a, an attractive uh, uh, rental income from a commercial property, well then maybe it's not so so bad value after all. Yeah, I think as as we tend to focus on. Um, when it, with any investment in particular property, I think if you can have an asset that has got good solid income, in particular if it's a commercial building and you've got multiple tenants, then that really just diversifies your exposure. But I think also when we're looking at getting back to our residential market and comparing it to other markets around the world, I mean, we, we've had numerous discussions with um, investors and, and experts from overseas who have experienced a massive downturn in their property markets, in particular in the US, the UK, parts of Europe, where their property markets fell by 50%. And they sort of look from offshore at our market and say, well, your market looks very similar to what ours did 10 years ago. And we've gone through through that pain. We've seen our markets fall 50%. And I think that's where there's been a lot of commentary about that. And also pressure on our banks. I mean, our banks' share prices have recovered you know, recently, but leading up to that, they're probably getting a lot of pressure from offshore investors who are saying well look we, we think the australian property market's expensive how can we take advantage of that and the way they do that is by sell, you know short selling the bank shares um, but our market's just so different i mean if you look at australia if you're in the u.s you think okay this country's the same size as the u.s but we all know that there's that tendency for us to you know want to live pretty closer to, to the coast um, we've only really got five major cities so th- i think the dynamic of our property market so different to what it is in Europe and, and the US. So I think you've got to understand that when you're making those predictions about future property prices. That, that's right. And, and just one, one final point I was going to make on property. There's, there's no doubt that the, the screws are being tightened somewhat um, on, on the banks in, in regard, with regard to lending. Um, you know, we've got the regulator, which is coming out and somewhat capping how much growth uh, the banks can achieve in terms of their loan books. And um, you know, interest-only loans and things like that. So, look, there is a little bit of um, pressure there, but it's a it's a big dynamic market. So we'll have to wait and see how that one plays out. And I think it's also as as we hear quite a lot that sort of two-speed economy where I think the RBA um, would. I mean, obviously they've cut rates fairly low now, but I think they were probably a little bit late to the party in that regard because the property market was so strong, and I think they're a little bit concerned about that. They were somewhat reluctant to cut rates too aggressively. Because all that would do is just put further, you know, fire into that into that property market. So I think that's where now, obviously through the regulator, they've found a way to try and slow the market without slowing the economy. Because that's always been, I think, a big risk. Yep, that, that's always the challenge, isn't it? So, so moving off property, um, another another major sector that we we look at a lot and, and hear from hear people talk about a lot is is, is equities. So whether it's uh, basically company shares. Um, so, so back in, back in 2016, um, the Royal Bank of Scotland economists made a, made a quite a outlandish call, uh, that, that 2016 would be a, um, a very negative year for the market, um, and sell everything and buy bonds. Um, so history tells us that 2016 carried on and, and as Glenn said earlier, Donald Trump got into power and that buoyed markets unexpectedly and, and equities had quite a strong 2016. Um, so you know, once again, a once again a prediction that that's been made um, that wasn't right. So what are your what are your thoughts on that, Glenn? Yeah, I mean, with I think with 
short-term forecasting and, and, and things like that, you know, whether it's Royal Bank of Scotland or any other sort of investment bank, as a um, investor on the sidelines, it really is important to differentiate between speculation and investing. I mean, really in the short term, if you're trying to predict what a share is going to do or, or a market is going to do, no, no one can predict that. We've seen that so many times and it really is speculating. And if you want to invest over that time horizon in those sorts of assets, you've probably got more luck going down to the race course or to the casino because it's just, that, that's, not, that's not what investing is about. Investing, as we often talk about, is about identifying a good quality asset. And as Warren Buffett would say, something buy something that you're comfortable almost putting in the top drawer, closing that drawer and not looking at it for forever really, for like, you know, whether it's five, seven, 10 years, unless something fundamentally is changing with that particular company, um, you need to give any business an opportunity and time to ride through that short-term volatility and, and you know, generate good returns over a long period of time. So I think it's almost pointless, well, one, trying to speculate as to what markets might do you know, in, in a year's time, let alone you know, a couple of months' time, whatever it may be. But I think it's important to take a long-term view because no one can predict what markets are going to do consistently. It's just impossible. Mm-hmm. Good, yeah, a good quality business will, will will grow in value over a longer period of time, and you know an investment time frame should should always be minimum five years if you're buying if you're buying a growth asset like shares. So, in the short term, um, no one in you know in my view, no one can predict the direction of that of, of an investment because there's so many factors and markets are extremely irrational. But if you buy a good quality investment and hold it for a long period of time, as Warren Buffett says, you're holding holding period should be forever um you'll be you'll be well should be well rewarded as long as it's a, a sound business um i know at the moment there's there's a lot of uh a lot of rhetoric from from the us that uh, i don't quite know where it stands right now about twenty two thousand points and it's somewhere near an all-time record depending on the yeah, day yep. um you know there's a lot of a lot of people nervous uh that the us markets are um due for maybe a decent correction um, and then once again, you know, the U.S. market dictates kind of global markets, so that somewhat feeds through to, you know, the Australian market. Even even though you know we're still, you know, still nowhere near where, still a fair way off where our peak was from ten years ago. Um, so how do you think we kind of handle the speculation around what equity markets will do in that regard? Look, I think it's a, it is a real real tough one. I know that Warren Buffett during the week said that you know with interest rates quite low equity markets don't look that expensive. So it really depends on what interest rates do. But once again, does it really matter? And I think that that's where, you know, you might be buying, let's just say, for example, you buy into the share market today and it falls 5 or 10%. Um, so long as you invest for the long period of time, history shows us over 120 years of share market performance that over, you know, if you look at the share market performance in five to seven year blocks, generally it trends upwards. I mean, we've sort of gone through a very unordinary sort of period within our market where we're, we're still not sort of close to where we were. But I think our market is somewhat unique because we're so heavily um, skewed towards resources. And, and banks. And banks. So if yeah. you take those two sectors out, I'm interested to see what the performance is there. Mm. But also our companies are very strong dividend payers. So you've got to take all that into account. So, sometimes it can be dangerous looking at the the overall benchmark in terms of what the market's going to do because as you just said rightfully resources and banks make up such a big part of our 
the All Ordinaries Index and then in the US as well, like you look at the, the technology companies, you look at the, the Google, Amazon, Apple, Netflix um, and the likes, they're, they're definitely, they have been driving the market. So there's, because they're such big companies, the, the ones that I just reeled off, if, you know, they, they could they could underperform. So the index might look like it goes really bad in the next six months, but then you've got a lot of other companies that are doing really well. So yep. you could, you know, if you buy um, individual companies, perhaps depends on your strategy, whether you're going the whole market or individual companies, you could still do very well. So yeah, it's, it's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Yeah, but, but also yeah. I think even if you go back to, you know, not so much leading up to GFC, but the crash of 87. I mean, even if you inve- invested at the height of the market then, yeah, the, f- the first couple of years probably isn't too pleasant, but... If you invested long enough, the the returns from that are still substantial as long as you had the right investments. Um, but but I think also the key thing within any portfolio is you don't put all your money in shares. I mean, I think that's the the key thing to take away within any portfolio. If if you've got all your money invested in shares and the share market suffers a downturn, it's very difficult to take advantage of that, isn't it? And I think that's what we tend to do is not necessarily look at the, a downturn as as a bad thing yes it's not pleasant in the short term but it's like you know going to the supermarket or to the shopping centers you don't buy things that are the prices have gone up you buy things where the prices have gone down that are good value it's the same with the stock market i mean a falling market does provide the opportunity for a long-term investor to take advantage of that so long as you've got um the resources to take advantage and that's where diversification into different asset classes like and that's why having a little bit of cash some liquid fixed interest that you can get your hands on in the event of a downturn. And that's where you can protect yourself from that downturn, isn't it really? That's right. I mean, opportunity, down markets, people often get scared because yeah, you might you might lose a bit of your portfolio value in the short term on paper, but, but a, a downward market can also be your friend and is opportunity. Um, and as Glenn said, as long as you've got access to cash or access to fixed income or, or some resource where you, when you can be a buyer when markets are low, um, you know, be be greedy greedy when others are fearful and fearful when others are greedy, as Warren Buffett says. So that's why, you know, if I have someone say to me, look, I think markets are a bit toppy, I'm a bit worried investing, I, I, my answer to that is the best time to invest is now. Absolutely. So don't don't wait. If you've got a strategy in place that can handle whatever the market throws at it, you'll make, a, you, you know, you'll make good money in the long term. In the short term, we can't control what's going to happen, but you're going to take action if something happens and you're not going to be reactive, you're going to be proactive um, and that'll result in you know attractive returns for your portfolio over time. Yeah, there's no doubt that it's time in the market. So just buying investments and and holding them for a long period of time pays greater or gives you greater reward than trying to pick the best time to invest because if you don't invest and the markets go up, then obviously you miss out. But I think also history's shown us that um, if, if, for example, let's just say the market does 20% over a year, that return isn't equally weighted on a day-to-day basis. Uh, you know, on, on average, I think the best seven trading days represent a significant portion of the total return. So if you're trying to pick the best time to invest, you could miss out on, on those days where the majority of the performance for that year comes through. Yeah, yeah 100%. Timing markets are, are so dangerous. So... Now we'll have a look at another another asset class that we um, there's been a lot of predictions about over the last five ten years, and that's uh, bonds. Um, so in 2011, uh, Bill Gross, who was at the time in charge of the biggest bond fund in the world at Pimco, um, he made a call to completely sell out of, of U.S. 
bonds and treasuries, um, predicting that yields would sharply rise, interest rates go up, um, which would effectively erode the, the capital value of bonds because there's that inverse relationship between yield and price. If, price. if yield goes up, the price of a bond goes down. So once again, history told us that he was completely wrong. Um, and bond yields actually tightened or came down a bit further, which saw bond prices rising. So once again, that's a, another prediction that went wrong. And, and, and bonds, I guess, has been for years stubbornly, with interest rates stubbornly low, bonds have been, in terms of uh, the value of a bond or the capital value, have been, have been doing quite well, haven't they? Yeah, I think really, not, if we go back to the reason why interest rates are so low, which is effectively driven by the global financial crisis where you know, we had collapsing property markets and you know, collapsing economies that world banks around the world were forced to significantly reduce interest rates to levels that we just haven't seen before. Um, and obviously, as a result of that, the demand for bonds went up significantly. One, because obviously the, the, there was fear within the market, which, which drives up those sort of safe haven assets. But I think you know, no one could predict that rates were going to stay this, long for, or sorry, this low for this long. Um, and, and obviously, you know, Bill Gross, who was well-renowned as the you know, leading bond manager for PIMCO, who's the largest bond manager in the world, um, even the most astute investors can, can make you know, incorrect predictions. Mm-hmm. Um, and not, I mean, we're just, we've been talking about rising interest rates in the US for, for a long time and you know, we've been to numerous um, discussions and briefings and there was suggestion you know, a couple of years ago that rates would rise and they, they just haven't risen at the rate at which perhaps a lot of people were thinking that they might. That's, that's right. And I mean, once again, bonds, we're not necessarily saying we think bonds are going to go any particular way. It's hard, it's hard to know what rates will do and the impact on bonds, but there is certain ways that you can, you can mitigate around the, 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 the risk of um, a steep rise in, in rates and, and, a, and a correction in bond prices because it may happen. And, you know, there's certain ways you can mitigate that by having you know, shorter dated maturities, shorter dated bonds that effectively your capital is a bit, bit more secure um you might be giving up a bit of yield but you know there's ways obviously that you can protect against that can't you yeah absolutely and and really it comes down to diversification mm. you know not putting i mean when when, when you hear the, the the term you know don't put all your eggs in one basket that doesn't necessarily just relate to shares we don't put all your money in one company it relates to different asset classes and then we're looking within asset classes i mean earlier we spoke about property how there's different types of property where you've got residential, office, industrial, and so forth. Within that sort of fixed interest, fixed in- income space, obviously bonds being the largest asset class in the world make up a significant proportion of that. But there are also other fixed interest assets that can help you manage your f- the fixed interest component of your portfolio that can um, reduce the risk of, you know, ra- if rates do start to rise rapidly, that's obviously where bond prices will be affected. And if you've got, you know, a significant portion of your fixed interest um, portfolio invested in bonds, you're going to be hurt by that. And I think that's where you need to really sit down with your advisor um, and work out what's the best mix of assets, You know, whether it's fixed income type assets like bonds, maybe having some floating rate securities in there as well. I mean, we're very strong advocates of you know, lowly geared first secured mortgages, which are more of a fixed rate but mature over, sh- over shorter durations. Um, so look... Uh, I think that once again, it's around looking at your portfolio and making sure that you're not putting all your eggs in that one basket. 
um, looking at diversification. And I think that's the real key message from what we're talking about today. The one thing that we keep repeating, whatever asset class you're looking at, it's taking a long-term view um, and diversifying into different segments of that asset class. So before before we kind of wrap it up, that one last investment type of investment to a degree I want to talk about is the uh, or currency or the the Australian dollar. Um, now this one, you know, in Australia, everyone goes on holidays. Everyone likes to talk about the the, the direction of the Aussie dollar in particular against the US dollar. Um, now at the moment, um, the Aussie dollar's in the high seventies. Yeah, it's been trading with I think between um, seventy eight and eighty cents. Yeah, I think it might have touched eighty potentially not not long ago. Um, now, at the start of the year, uh, the 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 dollar, Aussie dollar v the US dollar was seventy cents, and um, with the view that interest rates in the US are coming up, uh, the the talk was we're, we're going back to sixty cents. You know, the Australian dollar is going to go down. Now, once again, um, that hasn't happened. I mean, everyone that you spoke to or read about was telling you Aussie, Aussie dollar is going down. And well, that were all the headlines, weren't they? On yeah, I think the front pages of a lot of newspapers and financial. Um, you know, reporting and so forth. So this year it's 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 risen close to eighty. So it's actually gone up. And 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 I picked up something the other day which was telling me that uh, ninety cents is is feasible. Yeah. <laughs> so once again, it's just just an example of uh, you know why bother. I mean, the, the Aussie dollar trying to predict its movements. The Aussie dollar or currencies. Um, there are so many forces driving the direction. Supply demand in Australia. We've got you know, interest rates commodity prices it's just a very very difficult thing to predict isn't it yeah and, and i mean the australian currency is probably a very well in some ways it's a fairly speculative currency because we're because our economy is so strongly linked to resources and commodity prices whenever there's any sort of increase in demand whether it's from china I mean, and, and, and essentially that's been the major driver of our currency in the last 12 to 18 months um, if we look at sort of early last year where Commodity prices were rock bottom. Everyone was saying how, you know, it's the, obviously the absolute end of the mining boom. But what have we seen since then? I mean, BHP's share price fell to $14. Rio, you know, had fallen significantly as well. And now they're back up significantly. And there's there's no surprise that our currency has followed that. But, I mean, as you were saying earlier with regards to interest rates, the, the key driver has obviously been what's happening in China. But also that interest rate differential between what what the U.S. rates are doing and what ours is doing, and, and we are hearing stronger and stronger signs now that rates will start to move in the U.S. And if that does happen, and our rates still stay relatively low as they are now, um, if there's a widening gap between what rates are in the U.S. and what they are here, then we will see our currency come back a little bit. But as, I, I, I would say that currencies, if anything, are probably the hardest thing to predict. Just impossible. And also, like our currency is a, a sound investment. Um, you know, for example, you're not going to get any income off off currency. So, um, which leads on to something I wanted to quickly just talk about, which is our uh, Bitcoin. Um, Bitcoin. A lot of people are talking about cryptocurrencies, such as and Bitcoin is the the most the, or the biggest one. Um, now, that's an example where uh, look, the technology behind Bitcoin looks looks amazing. The, the blockchain and um, you know, decentralized system. Uh, it looks good, but I think what's more concerning for me is what uh, investors, I'll call it, or, or adopters of Bitcoin have, have done to the price. I mean, if you look at, at the start of the year, um, the, the US dollar price was around $1,000 for Bitcoin, and, and now it's somewhere around the $4,000 mark. So it's just, if you look at that on a chart, it's just like a straight line up 
Um, and a lot of people are talking about, I want to invest in Bitcoin. I want to, I don't want to miss out. And I think, um, sorry, Nathan, to, to, to interrupt, but I think that's where my alarm bells start ringing. I mean, I was in an Uber the other day and someone was talking about, I think you, you were with me, Nathan, um, on the way to the airport and someone was, and the taxi driver was saying how he had bought, or the Uber driver was saying how he had bought, you know, various types of cryptocurrency. And I think that can be a bit of a litmus test as well when, when you, when you jump in a cab or you're at a barbecue and you're almost a leper if you don't own Bitcoin or, or um, some other form of cryptocurrency, that's when the alarm bells should be ringing. I think it's really the speculative nature of it, isn't it? It's just gone up so much over a short period of time and you really question, what's backing this? Like, what is, what is causing this rapid rise? And, and it, look, it may very well continue, um, but I think we, we've had similar discussions about a completely separate asset, but one in some ways that operates the same as like gold. I mean, you buy this thing, doesn't generate any cash flow um, and it's very difficult to predict what the outcomes are going to be. It's just, do you really want an asset as volatile as that within your portfolio? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're the things. And I mean, gold's slightly different because it is it is kind of backed by something, so to speak. But I think with, um, with Bitcoin, I mean, would you want to invest it? What I'd say to someone looking to invest in it, do you, would you invest in the euros, like a currency? Um, just, just bear that in mind because, you know, you don't necessarily want to follow the herd. Um, everyone wants to get in and, and often that's when, you know, the early adopters that got in for, for, for next to nothing will, you know, you're buying off them and they're, they're possibly getting out. So just, just be careful. We're not saying don't invest in a cryptocurrency, but just understand it, you know, maybe put a small part of your portfolio in it and, um, and just, just be careful. So... So we've spoken about uh, a few a few different types of investments that um and, and predictions that have been made and, and some of the the risks that can that, that can come about by by taking you know outlandish outlandish views. Um, so in terms of bringing it together, um, you know one thing we say we don't really have a crystal ball, so so we don't know what markets are going to do. So. The way that we've touched about it a few times throughout this podcast already, but the way that we can protect client portfolios is it's pretty simple, but it's through diversification. Um, Glenn said earlier, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Um, and if you can design a portfolio that is designed specifically for, for, the, for the client and to achieve their end outcome, whether that's an income objective or a growth objective, whatever it might be, um, we think that can, that can put you in a good position. Yeah, absolutely. And I think... The key to, from our perspective, to good solid investment is to pick good quality assets that you're comfortable holding the long term. Uh, I mean, the best way to get rich is, is slowly. You know, the quicker you can make something, the quicker it can be lost. Um, so I think whether it's property, shares, uh, fixed interest, um, cryptocurrency, buy quality, things that you're happy to own throughout any investment cycle, I think that's another key message. Like, buy things that can withstand any short-term global shock because there's been so many of those in in, in recent years um, things that have solid cash flow and and really those that can give you that sleep at night factor as well do you really want to be investing in things that are so volatile in nature that you just you know you, you lay awake at night and you know the value of your total net worth can can vary so significantly from day to day because you're, you're investing in those volatile assets so take the speculation out really invest don't speculate so a few a few takeouts in terms of if you are thinking about investing, uh, before you even do it, understand your goals and objective. Know, know, know what you're trying to achieve. Don't just invest and with no goal in mind. What, what are you working towards? Uh, a diversification. Um, we all know that that helps reduce, reduce risks and markets aren't perfectly correlated. So, you know, diversification can, can be your friend. Um, we spoke about 
well, I think we briefly touched on 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 rebalancing. So, and what that means is if, if markets, um, you know, you set you set an asset allocation and you invest in a certain way, and markets move around, you're going to be out of kilter. So, it is important to to regularly make adjustments and rebalance the portfolio back to uh, what it should look like, and and that really will take emotion out. That'll that'll help you to 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 buy low and and sell high. Um, Think long term. Don't be don't be a short term investor. Don't be a speculator because it's so dangerous and uh, markets are very irrational. So be a long term investor. Um, turn off the noise. Uh, we 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 pick up the paper, listen to the news. Billions of dollars wiped off the share market. Fear mongering all the time. But really, we know that if you're a long term investor, markets rise and you'll do well. So just turn off all the noise um, and follow the. Don't follow the herd. Um, it can be dangerous to. You know, if everyone's buying Bitcoin, you just buy Bitcoin for an example. If it's right for you, maybe, but don't just blindly follow the herd. That can that can be really dangerous. And and just lastly, invest now. If you've got money, just get a strategy in place. Get that money working for you. If you time markets, usually it doesn't work. So in, invest now for the long term. Thank you for listening to the Money Mentors podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to reach out to us via email which is moneymentors at hewison.com.au. Also find out more about our sponsor, Hewison Private Wealth, at their website, which is www.hewison.com.au. You can also search Hewison Private Wealth on Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. See you next time.